One year, the timing system almost downright killed me because it involved a boom that went over the track. Yeah. So as you come across the car, the boom had an RFID reader that would pick up the identities of the, each vehicle. Uh, and the boom uh, was mounted onto an arm on the, on, on the uh, actual uh, van. Now, the boom had a, a few welded on uh, uh, supports that were just held up for guide, guide wire. I were on the van, and one of those well supports broke while I was underneath it. And <laughs> it came down on me. Oh, yikes. And it almost had it hit me, hit me on the shoulder. I was like, you know, okay, it's time. Like, because it took like a good hour to set that thing up. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Track Mind podcast. We have Kevin Wong, the director of Ontario Time Attack, with us today to talk about his motorsports background, the history of Ontario Time Attack, all the contentious and controversial discussion around what's a performance improvement and what's not a performance improvement. If you're at all interested in Time Attack, this is an episode that you do not want to miss. We'll also go over how OTA plans to stay competitive with the plethora of options in the Time Attack scene now blossoming in Ontario. We get into the changes for the 2024 season in terms of the adjustments for scoring, things like coilovers and alignment, and discuss the principles at play when it comes to making these adjustments on a yearly basis. And with that, let's get into the episode. It doesn't feel like winter anymore. It feels like spring is here. I know. I wonder how many people are pulling their cars out just to. <laughs> it's still minus around. two degrees outside, though. It is cold. Yeah, it is cold. It is cold. But, uh, but yeah, like last week got really warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's questionable these days to call winter. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't even have a car to wake up to take out on the road. <laughs> I'm just thinking about other people like enjoying the, way, the the warm weather and just getting out there. But yeah, I, I, saw, was, bikes. I, was just... yeah, I saw bikes, uh, bikes in in, uh, in the malls yesterday. Like, so oh, so wow. nice Ducatis. Because it was pretty nice <laughs> riding weather. It was like four degrees at one point. I'm like, wow, well, not yeah. bad. Yeah. The sun. That's bold. That's bold. Yeah. I was, uh, I was just chatting with Patrick earlier that I'm probably going to go to TMP with some people next week. Yeah, it's, <laughs> to, yeah. To do some testing. <laughs> Yeah, good, good, good fun romps there. Yeah, well, I'm really glad we finally able to get this time to to have this conversation. Pretty pumped about it, and uh, you know, we we last week or the last episode, not last week, last episode, we chatted with Chuck uh, from Lucky Dog, and I thought it would be a great uh, follow up conversation to to chat with you, Kevin, on Ontario Time Attack, which is like. You know, probably the the series that Patrick and I have been like most involved in as competitors over time, um, and yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. I think the, everyone these days have have had a lot of questions about the series, and, and especially like new drivers, they want they want to know like how does the series work? What's a pip? How did <laughs> where did it come from? Um, and and I think every every year, like you know, there's there's even more, even from seasoned drivers, like some questions around, like you know, what needs to change and and where do we go from here, kind of thing. So I'm never able super to glad to have you. Yeah. And it's that? like no, not again. No, it's it's it's, it's, it's a valid. I think it's like, like it's a never ending debate, right? Ultimately, yeah. in the end, it's like like when we get to, we get into the thick of things. Yeah, well, it's, it's always good. I'm, I'm never one to say like no, not again. Like it's. Because ultimately, it's like I, I always tell everyone: like in order for the series to improve, it needs to be questioned. 
You need the tattoo yep. needs to be shaken to make sure it's not dead. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's that's just the base state, right? Yeah, that's the base state, and that's the attitude that I hope Time Attack, like Ontario Time Attack, always has. In order yeah. To mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes sense. And so before we jump into to the the thick of things, as you as you called it, um, you know, obviously Patrick and I know you super well, uh, and and you've are are the face of this organization, but. For those who are unfamiliar with Ontario Time Attack, uh, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Kevin Wong. Uh, technically, the uh, so I uh, wear a few hats, but I'm the Cascor Time Attack director. Uh, so Cascor runs a bunch of other, other racing divisions, like other motorsports division, auto slalom, uh, race, uh, like uh, open racing, and also like Time Attack is one of them. So I'm specifically the Time Attack director, and I also wear the hat for SPDA, which is a car club. I am the Time Attack representative. So mm. I wear kind of wear a few hats, and I do a bit of instruction on the side for a bunch of other organizations. So yeah, I kind of wear a bunch of hats, but Time Attack is mainly my passion and what I what I enjoy doing. So that's awesome. And you you mentioned a few different organizations, and I, and I do want to jump into that later on because I feel like there's a bit of like a web of related groups and, and communities and organizations that I, f- I feel like I always have questions as to like how it all fits together. And so I w- we'll want to get to the bottom of that in this episode to, to help the listeners understand like all the different things at play. Um, one thing I will make aware to the, to the listeners is that we're recording this at 8 a.m., which is why you probably see some like eye bags on, on a few of us. So <laughs> bear with us as we, as we, uh, wake up to this um but speaking of of tiredness i know kevin you you were recently in hong kong how's oh, yeah. the uh, how's the jet lag you uh fully acclimatized at this point surprisingly this time around i i uh for those of you that don't know like hong kong's 13 hours ahead right now so like like uh, surprisingly I, I got back into the rhythm of things within like three or four days normally it takes me a week but yeah. i managed to somehow mm. like get myself back in the, in the rhythm of things within three or four days and like Hong Kong is like Hong Kong to me is like always a part of my childhood. I, I never lived there. I never grew up there, but I always visited every other year. And to me, it's like every time I go back, I'm always eight years old again. <laughs> That's cool. I'm always eight years old again. It's like my relatives are all there. Like I, I, I've got a good chunk of relatives still there. And like, I'm always just eight years old, but like ultimately I'm not uh, like yeah. everyone's just getting older and, and, and Hong Kong is like, Hong Kong's changed, but at the same time, like, like I go back all the to all old, old, old homesteads, the Seven yeah. Eleven that I knew growing up was still is still there. Like it's 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 just it's very nostalgic. But at the same time, like you see everyone getting older, and yeah. the sad part is the next time I go back, I don't know if everyone's still going to be there. Mm. Right. So yeah. so it's it's just it was it was it was due time for me to go back, and it was it was mm. fun as always. How, how often do you go? When was the last time? Oh wow, the last time I went back. Uh, I want to say like 2017 or something like that, 2017, 2018. That's yeah. been a while. And then uh, even before that, like, yeah, even before that, it wasn't very often I went back. So it's, yeah, it's uh, like my summers are obviously, like as you guys know, like full of other stuff. So so usually trying to slot some time in is kind of difficult. So January is a perfect time. And, and I had a chance to go back with my parents, which is like, un- which is unusual these days. So so took yeah. the chance took the chance and went that's awesome nice man How's happy your, for you, you. sorry was that 
No, I'll, I'll <laughs> you say I'm happy ahead, for Patrick. you. <laughs> you're good. You're good. How's uh, how's your Cantonese? Oh, my Cantonese is like conversational. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm obviously uh, people in Hong Kong will hear me and go like, "Oh, you're clearly not from around here." <laughs> well, plus yeah, like, I'm wearing a, like just wearing a shirt and like a light, light uh, like not even a jacket at times when during the winter, but it was un- unusually warm over there, anyways. But it's they can yeah. clearly tell I'm not <laughs> from around there. No, that's always the giveaway. And and you mentioned like you feel like an eight year old, and I I feel like every time I go back to China, which at this point it's been like a decade now. Uh, but I, I did grow up there, but every time I go back, I feel like I have an eight-year-old's vocabulary, right? <laughs> which is just, which is to say, like, you can get around understanding things at, like, a restaurant, but, like, that's kind of it. Like, when, when the grown-ups start talking, you're just like, all right, I'm going to have to go sit at the kid's table now and talk with them. Hey, there for the ride. Yeah. What, um, what, what was the car scene like in Hong Kong? Did you notice anything? What's the trend huh. these days? The, the trend? It's a surprising amount of Teslas. Surprising, really? okay. yeah, surprising amount of Teslas, and a lot of them are like running like rideshare apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because I saw a lot of Teslas being, I was like, wow, like you figure owning a, a car in Hong Kong would be like severe tax because like you need to have parking for it. Parking's not like we, not every house comes with like with a parking spot, right? So, like, and I'm like electric vehicles too, and I guess I don't know if there was an incentive. But uh, yeah, a lot of Teslas, and then it's and, and the fact that there's no winter means everything's in pristine, like relatively pristine condition. There are no like beaters and like I shouldn't say no beaters, but on average, the number of beaters are far less in, in Hong Kong than say here in Toronto because we have mm-hmm. salt. And mm-hmm. like and, and the few like not the few like so a decent amount of like the sports car scenes is like they're mm-hmm. all like in like wax like shined. And I actually had, wow. I actually had a, while I was there, like I had a conversation with, with uh, uh, our journalist that here in Toronto. And I said like, cause he's from Hong Kong. And I asked him like, uh, like, what do you think of the car scene? And like, and he, and him and I have like these weird differing opinions. Like I love how the cars are all like nicely modded. Like they're like, they're actually like tuned and like, they look good. They got the nice JDM parts on it, all that fun stuff. But then he's like, Hey Kevin, like the one thing that goes against your culture, they don't get driven. Mm-hmm. and i'm like oh that's a good point there's not that's, like a track there there's no real tracks like mm-hmm. hong kong is like hong kong is probably the size of like half of the gta or less yeah like 10 times the people there's yeah he only, only got time for a track on, on and it's like land. like super like population dense anyway like there, oh, there wouldn't be a place to put one right yeah there, there wouldn't be a place to put one if you if you even had like my condo right now, if I had a size of this condo like in Hong Kong, it's like you're like well off, right? If you had a house, you're a freaking millionaire. Right. Like, so like having a track is highly unlikely. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I I'm not aware of one. And if there's any street racing, it's gonna be racing, it's gonna be street racing. So on the freeways, mm-hmm. right? Well, on the freeways. So it's like there is no uh, as far as I know, there's no track in, in Hong Kong. No. So and then Macau's a street circuit. So yeah, basically. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's, it's just like yeah, there's the cars are really nice, and and it's funny. I saw a lot. I saw a decent amount of Porsches too, and I'm going like, how often do these guys even hit fifth gear? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's like uh, it's like all the supercars in in Yorkville. They just go up and down the street. <laughs> but at least here, you know, the like, their highways over there are only up to I think eighty. Oh yeah, wow. 
So, so it's like, it's so, yeah. So, so a lot of nice cars that aren't rusted and legit JDM, like Mugen. I saw more, uh, I saw more Volks on, on friggin' uh, those milled minivans, little K vans. (laughs) I've seen at the track. (laughs) So it's kind of, it's kind of awkward because everyone, like when you have a car, it's like, everyone wants to like make it really nice. Yeah. Right. So so you got like BBKs on like K vans, which is hilarious. Dude. That's like that's kind of contrary to what we have here because I feel like car culture here. There's a lot of people who like end up with like like replica wheels and like really yeah. poorly done like aero, and then it's also not driven. And then I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> at least at least in like Hong Kong, from what it sounds like, people like they like the quality build. I like that. Yeah, yeah they do like the quality build. Like I, you don't like. Like in terms of even like fart cannons, you like you don't really hear a lot of like if they have a like you you clearly hear a car's like been tuned or whatever it is. Like I saw a really nice DC two heading into a parking lot, and I'm like, oh wow, it's got all <laughs> the nice parts on it. I'm like, oh, this is really nice, and and it's not like super loud. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's it's yeah. it, it, it saw a few uh, uh yeah a few STIs saw a oh, really sweet S two thousand. Oh, that really. It tugs the high strings, like, <laughs> and like it's, like it's like it's they're all like really nice, right? But at the same yeah. time, like my 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 friend, like the journalist uh, Ben So, he said he's like Kevin, like I bet you you put on more kilometers in one year than they've probably put on in five or six. That makes and sense. I'm like I'm like yeah, nowhere I'm... to stretch your legs. Yeah, basically, basically. Yeah. Do you know do you know what regulations are like in terms of modification? Like is it as strict as it is in certain parts of like Europe as I it is in, in Hong Kong? I don't know, but based on the mods I've seen, I'm guessing yeah. it's not that strict. Mm. Aside from my problem, there's probably like a like a, I'm sure there's a there's a noise limit. But I did I also did hear a ridiculous uh, Audi uh, Audi uh, go down the street that had the, all the ridiculous pops and bangs. So it's either it's not that strict or they don't care to get uh, a slap on the wrist and pay a fine. <laughs> I, I think just simply because the number of people that actually have those kind of cars are far lower than, say, here. Yeah. Mm, so they just so, got better taste. Yeah, Every yeah, high school definitely. kid with their dad's, like, BMW, pop, 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 pop. Like, yeah. come on. Well, like, surprisingly, like, I hear more pops and burbles, like, down here than I did. In, yeah. In Not like, they're really obnoxious, like. Yeah, yeah. Because nowadays, with as we all know, like BMWs all come stock with with the option to turn on or off that valve, and then you get all the pops and burbles. Chance and I shaking our heads at the same time. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, our, our friends over at M Tech just posted a video of like a stage two like flash. Yeah. With the stock exhaust. And I was like, there's no way this exhaust is stock. It was just like pop, 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 pop. <laughs> when you get off the throttle, it was crazy. It's wild, man. It's like I get why people like it, but at the same time, I don't like I don't want that stuff reflecting off the off the, the buildings downtown and just it's loud my eardrums. My mm. my one of my big decision points uh this year in building the the K swap is uh right now I am uh committed to recirculating the uh the the um shoot what's the wastegate but part of Mm. me is like ah open dump man that would be so much easier to build and it'll be faster (laughs) 
And I was like, nah, man, I need still need to be able to drive this thing to the track. So we'll see. We'll see if when 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 the when the welding starts, if I still have the same result. I was just like, nah, just cut a hole somewhere and just let it. Let just it. make sure you don't get. Just make sure you don't get banned at Calabogie. Oh yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. Even with the supercharger, I think because of my the the exhaust setup, you know, just basically a straight pipe. It was it was already pretty loud. Yeah. I actually think the turbo is going to quiet things down, having all yep. the exhaust gases having to pass through the body. So we'll see. We'll see. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you had a, had a great time in Hong Kong. We should, I was actually thinking about this, that we should do some like OTA trips abroad. Because one of the places I always want to go to is Japan, but I don't think oh, yeah. Joanne is ever, like she doesn't really have an interest to do that. But I feel like, within the OTA community, that could be something like during the off season where you just grab a bunch of people and say, hey, let's let's go do a car trip to Japan or something oh, like that. Oh, 100%. Going back to the Mecca? That's like, yeah. That would be awesome. Japan, and you going to go to the ring in Germany? Oh, my God. Yes. That's Love what we should do. Yeah, 2024, 2025. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we can plan <laughs> something for, for the wintertime. Oh, boy. Awesome. So... You know, one one of the things that I always find interesting is to understand if you're people such as yourself who are so deeply embedded in in the car community and a racing community, you know where that inspiration first came from, right? And and what in your upbringing or childhood had that big influence? So if you can share with us, what was your earliest car memory? So the earliest car memory is actually nothing to do with uh, with. Uh with anything like I'm doing now, actually, it's just it's, my dad. My dad bought this really janky, like Subaru Justy. Like I don't know if everyone everyone knows. It's basically a tiny little hatchback that had all-wheel drive, surprisingly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it actually had a gear shifter to 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 technically four-wheel drive. It's not all-wheel drive. For to shift into four-wheel drive, and it was just janky. It was it was hand-me-down, and and there was a family of five sitting in one. There wasn't enough seatbelts <laughs> to go around in one. And ultimately, it was just, it was just, 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 I, I well, to me, that, that's, that was just hilarious because, like, the four speed. And, and I never really got into the whole track scene until very late in the game. So, so, but mm. car memory, if you want to stick to it, it's just a car memory. That Super Justy is like, is like, 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 we had a family moniker for it. We call it the little red matchbox because it was just, just a tiny little red little thing. And it was just hilarious how many people we packed in that car. <laughs> that's amazing. I feel like we all we all have like a memory kind of like that, which is kind of funny. Is like, so my my dad's first cars, right? And I just find it so hilarious. So we had the Corolla oh, yeah. before the AE eighty six, so the crummy version. And I was like, oh, we were so close to having like the legit, you know, racer version. <laughs> and then the car after that, yeah, was uh, a Sylvia. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's I think maybe it was still. Uh, like which number it is i can't remember but it was the version after the the versions where they went it basically was a front wheel drive sylvia yeah right yep. so again mm. like so close yep. but not quite <laughs> so I, I wish i had the the you know the family pedigree of having like really cool jdm cars but no we we basically got like the, the oh we have that at home version the funny thing you mentioned the corolla is that yeah, my dad, like my, my, so we had two cars. The, the the first car was actually the Corolla, which was the first generation they went front wheel drive in. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and it was the there was a sedan the sedan, the family sedan. So it was like so you can see you can see like if it was a night I think it was a nineteen eighty five, eighty four, eighty five Corolla, and it's like yeah. you can kind of see the, the, the shades from the from the eighty eighty six and it's like no, no, not eighty. Yeah. <laughs> no no hate on front wheel drive, but that, that doesn't capture the spirit of these, you know, yeah. historical cars, right? Yeah. They're meant to be rear wheel drive. Um, no, that's, that's amazing. And, and when we think about, you know, earliest car memories, then as we transition into, into motorsports, you know, what was your, your first, you know, memory of, of competing or time attack either as like a participant or just, uh, a, a, uh, an observer. So as an, the start off as an observer. So I grew up in, uh, Mississauga and mm. so the, uh, so the public transit, so the bus stop, it used to be on the south side of square one, and then it, mm. the, the the new bus stop got moved to the north side where the uh, theater is right now. And one day, I we were just waiting. I was just getting off to school. I think it was a grade nine or ten, and they had rented the the parking lot uh, off the the north end of the parking lot to do the solo two. Uh, was it? Oh, I forget what it's called now. The ones where they do go back to back on the on the on the mirror course to see who gets mm. the fast. What the heck are they doing out there? And then, well, this was before like the internet really hit it big, right? So you can't really Google it. So yeah, yeah. I was like, kind of make my way down, like, what's going on here? Like, what are you guys doing in the parking lot? And they're like, oh, this is called like uh, uh, autocross. And like, I don't, I'm great nine. I don't have my license yet. I'm like, oh, what the heck is autocross? But that stuck in my head. I'm like, what are they? They just running around basically circle, like what appeared to me as circles in the parking lot. And it didn't really register me to me until like I went to the university and. And I, and then I was like, "Oh, this is this, this is a great anime called Initial D, by the way." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, haven't, I'm heard, like, haven't heard of it. Haven't heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah, like some some Ford, some tofu guy running around. But yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's manual car. Like I, I grew, grew like my, my parents grew up driving a manual. How hard could it be? Yeah, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> that's a slippery slope. But then I'm like, oh, okay. And then my my buddy out of school. Goes and buy, and so my when I when we when we immigrated to Canada, my dad actually had a the 2000 Corolla, and he and he was like, I'm not gonna pay a thousand bucks for automatic transmission, so he got the mm. manual. So I'm like, I got a manual car at home, and my and then when I when my buddy graduated in 2004, he bought a, a Cord V6 with the manual, and I'm like, even that is fast. That was a very good car, yeah. very good engine, and very good transmission, and I'm like, do you even know how to drive? Man, he's like, nope. So, so how you yeah. start. Yeah. So so I was like, I was like, I was I kind of felt jealous. I'm like, that sucks. He got a he got a real nice accord. So I wound up going buying a Radius 1987 MR2. Nice. Wow. It was, it was, it was a it was I was young and dumb and stupid. Let's put it that way. It was so ratty. The engine was great, but the body was uh, falling apart, man. And then yeah. I finally and that was a chance with that car. I finally got into autocross and I got my ass whooped. <laughs> you know, which, you, which organization were you out with oh that was okay so i don't know if you guys remember there was a group called hada h-a-d-a they the honda they no longer exist they 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 kind of went they kind of they were they were another uh there was kind of like a like a spda club with that they, they just ran like in fact a lot of members from SPD came from hada hmm. but uh but uh yeah they they ran an autocross and i'm like okay i'm gonna sign up and like do this and got uh, totally butt kicked, and then I went into a few other series. Like I think Corvette Club ran a autocross as well, 
And I did that and eventually got on the piddle and met a bunch of people that friends with now. And then, and then, but that's, but then the MR2 kind of was like falling apart so badly that I paid, <laughs> it spent more time in the shop than it did me driving it. So, so I said, you know, I'm going to sell this and just like come back with a, with a more mature approach, just put that way. Mm. And that's when I came, when I, that's, that was it. That was back in eight. Yeah. I came back in like, I think 12 years later with the S2000. Oh, wow. Well, wow. So yeah, that was a gap. Like, yeah. A big gap. I uh, like between, between like just saving up money and everything and buying my own place and everything like that. So I was like, but I always had that goal. Like I want to like, learn the lessons from the MR2, like get a good car. <laughs> Spend more time driving it than actually. Even if you could, 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 you know, like I just happens to be to get a point come up with a really pristine S two thousand before the price is getting really stupid. Yeah. And, and bought it, and then initially I was like, oh, I kind of want to baby it. My, and then one of my buddies from from work was like, baby it, like what the hell, man, drive it, get on the track, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> track, and I'm like, oh, I like this. That's basically that kickstarted everything. Oh. Yeah. So what, what no, year was that when you started uh, driving the S2 on track? What year S2 is it? On track. So I want to say 2000, was it 2012? Mm. 2000, yeah, 2012 or 13 ish. Okay. Yeah. I wanna, you know what? No, 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 wait, no, that's not right. No, because 2015, I'll say 2015 actually. Yeah. 2015. Wow. Okay. So that's like not, not, that's really not too long ago, like maybe nine years now, but I don't think you imagined back then you'd be a director of Time Attack for no, the God, Can- no. that's what I'm saying. Canadian Autosport like, Club. I yes. got into this super late. Uh, I just managed, I got lucky in a sense that I managed to like in, in like four or five years, I put in a ton of driving, mm-hmm. like a lot of driving. Like I had, I, I think I, I did like three schools in the, in the summer and then I went, did, I did, I think I did more track time in 2017 and 18, like in, in, in each of the single years that most people do in like three or four years. Wow. Like short of, short of people racing like on, on track, right? Like literally. Yeah. You know? Unless, unless you're Jason Lee and then you spend more time <laughs> at the track than you do at home. Holy crap. That guy is nuts. Like, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he maintains a relationship. I think he's just, he has one of those, I mean, I, I'm kind of similar as him where we have obsessive personalities where like once you're kind of latched on to something you have to just get to the deep end of that topic or that experience and just you know burn through it um but no it's good he keeps us all on our toes and we're like oh shoot he's putting in time i gotta go put in time too otherwise we're gonna fall behind (laughs) yep Yep. he's insane good for him though yeah yeah so at, at what point in your journey did you start getting involved then with uh, Ontario Time Attack or maybe the group that eventually became Ontario Time Attack? What was the the early days in the history of the organization like? So when I found, so I, uh, so when I was during the, the whole cycle where I was just like doing everything on like motorsports related with the S2000, I ran into a fellow named uh, John Pazinski. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, he was uh, coaching at the SPDA day. Uh, they, they run an advanced driving clinic. And uh, and he said, "Hey, you got a great S two thousand. It's really nice condition. Well, why don't you drive it on the track? But you need a roll bar." So I'm like, "Oh, another another cost? Sure, sure, sure." But I did attend a, a Hanson uh, driving school before that. I was like, "Yeah, I do kind of like like driving on track." So so yeah. And he's like, "Yeah, just come up to Ontario Time Attack." And at the time, I didn't you know 
I didn't think much of the competition side of it. I'm like, oh, it's, I thought he was just trying to do like a salesman pitch. So I was like, okay, let's do this time fact school, right? So I did, I attend, I got the roll bar in and then I, and I, and I signed up for the school and John was my coach there too. And I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, yeah, I could learn, learn a lot. And I managed to, 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 to learn the lessons from the MR too. Like kept the S2000 aside from the roll bar, basically all stock, uh, including crappy tires and the crappy alignment that came with. And then, and then just kind of developed heavily there. And then, and then said, okay, I'm good for competition in 2017. Uh, I'll just, I just want to enter and just even get, get my ass kicked. I don't care. I just want to be part of this. And then in 2017, uh, their chief timer, Perry Routman, was basically saying, look, uh, someone needs to take over because I can't, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, hey, just sitting in a, a, a sitting in, at the time, their timing system was uh, more home room. Mm-hmm. There was a timing van involved next to the track. And so I was like, ah, how hard could it be sitting in front of a, 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 in a, in front of a laptop just watching people's lap times come in? And it, it turned out to be quite technical because it was a very homebrew system. And But that was, that was my background. Even uh, uh, what I was doing from, for industrial HVAC, you know, we're doing commissioning and a lot of troubleshooting stuff. So I was like, well, yeah, it's not, it's not too terrible. And then eventually, like, uh, I, one year the timing system almost downright killed me because it involved a boom that went over the track. Yeah. So as you come across the car, the boom had an RFID reader that would pick up the identities of the, each vehicle, uh, and the boom uh, was mounted onto an arm on the on on the uh, actual uh, van. Now the boom had a, f- a few welded on uh, uh, supports that were just ha- uh, held up through a guide guide wire guide wire on, on the van, and one of those welded supports broke while I was underneath it. <laughs> it came down on me. Oh, yikes! And it almost had it hit me. Hit me on the shoulder. I was like, you know, okay, it's time. Like, because it took like a good hour to set that thing up. Yeah, and a good at least an hour, and that's with five guys like helping me, like pull up the thing and set up the RFID readers. And I'm like, you know, we should get a proper timing system. And that's when we made the switch to uh, to the MyLab system, which is far easier because it's all embedded into the track transponders. Are basically set up and go like you don't need to do anything fancy to it and 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 that cost OTA at the time about 50,000 Canadian wow. for all the hardware That's... the transponders and not to mention like Will Parsons who's our who you've met uh, like he does our, the programming for the the actual system because we can't use the in the basic timing app because we you know like we mentioned it earlier we have a we have an IPAC system. We have a PIP system. That so you're not just raw time, right? Uh, all the raw time is a component of it. So he rolled, He spent almost a year losing his mind, just making sure he could deliver it within a year, right? While still having a family and a full time job. So, so in twenty as a 2019, we debuted that system, and it was far easier. I don't need a team of five guys now. Timing has been reduced to now. It's basically a one and a half person job. And it's so reliable. Like our lifetime system is amazing, uh, and it pulls up everything quickly and easily. And yeah, that, at that point, I go, yeah, I kind of screwed OT into buying a fifty thousand dollars system. And at the time, Stephen Denica, the current director, was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to step down because I've been doing this for like for, for like almost like five years now. Because I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, you know, I'll take OTA because I feel kind of like guilty they spent the money on that. I'm like. I'll I'll <laughs> trapped. I was like, I'll run I'll run for director. Like, oh, and that's what happened, right? And, and 
And we just successfully, it's been five years now because we had a five-year uh, lease on the MyLab system. And we just renewed it this year and got a healthy upgrade too. We, were, we moved up to the new uh, TR2 transponders, which are even better. So, so yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what we use in Lucky Dog. Where for well, most new people, when you buy your your transponders, most people are getting the TR2s now. My laps will never admit it, but the X2s had a bunch of design flaws. Yeah, the I know the antenna was a little bit fragile in the way that especially when we use uh where our zip tie specials, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's the, the hole like right next to the antenna. Yeah, or or even like when you charge them, you plug them into the uh into the box. Yeah. The way the nature by the nature of the the contact pins, if you push them in, you actually push it away from the contact pins. Hmm. It's really weird. weird. I'm like, who came up with this design? Like, this is terrible. The yeah. case is is handy though. That yeah, they, they thought is... about like having everything together kind of oh, thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's no, perfectly but... made for for organizations. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Well, we well, that's basically how I kind of getting suckered into the job. That's pretty funny. So, I mean, before we jump into to, to scoring and the IPAC system, what really makes OTA unique, I, I do want to kind of circle back on on the structure of the organization, right? You, you, you mentioned Casco R. We have, of course, there's OTA and then there's like SPTA and a whole bunch of other organizations and, and different series. What, what does that like macro structure look like? Just so the listeners kind of have a sense of like, you know, when these organizations are mentioned, is that like a... Uh, kind of like a horizontal, like sister organization, or is it a parent organization? You know, what does what does that all look like? So I'll, I'll take you to the very top. So like, when it comes to sanctioned, like officially sanctioned motorsports in the world, you've got the FIA, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the FIA, so that's global, and then so when it comes to uh, country, is the ASN chair in Canada, which is held by an organization called GDS. I forget their full name, but they basically sit in that. That's such. They sit in that chair to govern all the motorsports within Canada. And then they, so they, they recognize certain bodies that, that run in each province and CSC, which can stands for Canadian automobile sports clubs, uh, for Ontario region, basically for Ontario, uh, they, so they are the governing body within Ontario. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that's where, and by the by nature of the acronym, Canadian automobile sports clubs. SPDA and all these other clubs like BMW Trillium, uh, they're all like sanctioned sports clubs that pay dues to Casco, right? And then Casco basically handles things like getting group rate insurance for everybody. So if you're a sanctioned event, you have to run it by certain safety standards, which are driven by the FIA down to the ASN all the way down. So, so basically what that means is compared to say like me going out personally myself, renting out the track means I have to abide by a higher safety standard, there are certain rules at play. It's not just a free-for-all. So that's basically the vertical structure. Now, mm -hmm. in terms of OTA itself, OTA is actually got a bit of history there. Uh, but basically, long story short, is there's three clubs that form, came together and said, hey, we want to pitch in to form an organization uh, uh, called uh, Ontario Time Attack. And those three, organized, those three clubs were basically SPDA, which used to be which used to be like called a super performance driving uh, an association. And, and, but now it's, they, they're not just accepting a Subaru's now. They're, they're like basically a, across the board. They don't care anymore. They just mm -hmm. want to have fun. And then yep. you've got TAC, which is Toronto Auto Sports Club. Yep. And then you've got Oshawa Motorsports Club, which who is the, actually the OG that started uh, what we call Time Attack in Ontario. 
And that mm. started back in, I think it was like 82. Uh, they were the first ones. And eventually, wow, that's they, a while they were, ago. Yeah, that's a while ago. And they actually were called Solo One. So everyone knows Solo as Autocross. Solo Two yeah. was Autocross in Ontario. And Solo One was Time, time Attack or Time Trials, they called it back then. But then everyone's mm. like, what the heck is Solo? Like, So, so, so somewhere along the line, I don't know exactly the full history, but they decided, why are we calling ourselves Solo? The, the, nobody thinks of like, track stuff when you think of solos so just call it time t- time trials and then we get ontario time trials is like okay let's call it ontario time attack and eventually the name the, the, the name change were stuck and we've been called ontario time attack i think since at least the mid 90s wow oh wow yeah so it's been around for a while we're in our 40 uh, 2024 will be our 42nd year of operations wow, wow. i mean it's not that far from 50 years i'm sure there'll no, be a pretty not. big celebration when that comes around yep so yeah. that's basically long story short of the organization. No, that's really cool. I mean, I think it's fascinating to actually, as you mentioned, you know, s- some way, somehow to be actually able to trace it all the way up to the FIA in some regard, right? As At least to be recognized in that, in that way, right? Um, that is, I don't know that. that. That was pretty unique. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so that's the sanctioning bodies in, in Canada. So when you when you joined OTA as the director, so other than feeling guilty about making that big purchase, which by the way, obviously it, it panned out, and I think that's like one of the unique features of of doing OTA is that you know timing's gonna work, at least from a competitor's perspective. I know it's still chaos when you're when you're in the timing tower these days, because <laughs> I've I've kind of seen that happen with with Chris and the the other guys in there scrambling sometimes. Um, so when you joined, other than being guilt tripped into it what were some of the things that you wanted to to bring to the table some changes that you wanted to make well one of the things that i wanted like one of the reasons that drives me for at least for motorsports in general is just like i got in the game late and at the mm-hmm. time like from a relatable standpoint is like i got in the game late i didn't know anybody and it wasn't because of like a few people nudging me here and there and then john pazinski sucking me in it's like i didn't know where like like I only when I thought of motorsports, I thought of the car community, right? Because that's what you you, you you think. But some like then you start then you start getting the little cliques of like car clubs, and and the, the surprising thing is a lot not a lot a lot of them are actually like like you mentioned earlier, like they want to be like the parking lot crowd, right? Not as much, many of them actually want to, or at least are interested, or maybe don't even know about the track, right? So like so I was like, how do I make as director? How can I help? OTA, you know, reach out to to younger audiences. And at the time when I was in in 2017, like there weren't a lot of younger people. The average age, I think, was also uh, like was I want to guess this is not sure that this is not by any statistics, but like, just looking around, I think the average age was probably like in the high 30s, low 40s, which was like mm, okay. Is there any way to like use social media, employ social media, employ word of mouth to try to get uh, to try to get you know. Uh, more younger people into this so that was i was like i was like okay and then and to be fair ota at the time when steven denica took over like i think back in the was it i think he was running the yeah around the the mid 2017 or 2016 2017 you know the ot was kind of a bit of rough shape because the average age was increasing and not a lot of people were like hearing about it uh so that was my key goal is just like steven denica stabilized the ship and I was like, let's steer it in the right direction and try to hopefully get more younger people involved. 
And, and along the way, like I met guys like Patrick Alex, yourself, they're like, we got, we got, we managed to, to get the word of mouth out there and became a lot more fun series. Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it wasn't fun before, but just younger, like, you know, just more, more, more people into the sport to, to rather than cycling out of it. Right. Cause ultimately yeah. in the mm-hmm. end, like, to be fair, like time attack is a good gateway to a lot of motorsports. And we got to know our role that people aren't going to stick around. Like, it's it's great. Like I sharpen my skills at Time Attack. I want to move to wheel to wheel or or sprint series or or you know other stuff, right? And it's great they come back. Like Chris has been a <laughs> Chris is, Chris Pazinski is is our current champion, and he's been around for a long, long time. And like it's, I was like, I'm happy he's around, but like he's and he's really, really good. Uh, but he's more than overdue to like move on to other stuff too if he wants to. So mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And I, I think more and more as you go forward looking at this like pipeline issue of like how do you get more people involved earlier on at different stages having continuity and then i think now there's also uh a, a, an additional element where there's also competition for for supply mm-hmm. if you will right there's so many new series coming out which is great um but there are only so many weekends in the canadian yep. summer right uh and there's mm-hmm. only so many tracks um, you know, that's, that's something that to kind of consider. And I, and I do want to dive into this later on when we talk about, you know, the future of, of OTA. Um, but before we, we get to that topic, we, we've kind of, uh, offhandedly mentioned this, right? What makes OTA unique is this scoring system, this IPAC system. And it's almost become a, a bit of a meme in, in the group chats, right? Like I know Mikey Lim is always <laughs> saying, uh, what is it? IPACs isn't real. Pips aren't real. Um, yep. You know, what's the system? That was, a, that was an OG Nick Maitland quote from a few years ago. And then I, I see. think the entire group has like <laughs> adopted it. Yeah. <laughs> we should get stickers made, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. But, but like, 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 so, so one of the things that drew me to OTA and like compared to the other series is that like the focus, the, the one of the key pillars for OTA is like we want to focus on driving a skill. But the problem is, like, how do you focus on driving the skill? Well, we're not running a cup car, like a cup car series, right? Not everyone's driving the exact same car and the exact same tires at, on the, like, you know. So, so, so back in the day when OTO and Time Attack first started, it was basically like front wheel drive, rear wheel drive, horsepower brackets. And then people were like, like, well, it's still not like, it's still not like you can still show up and max out every, spend a sh- crap ton of money. And like win your way or win your way to a championship. So uh, I don't know exact details, but I believe like a small committee formed and said, "Look, let's just do something like what Auto Slalom does, packs, all right? Which is basically they try to create tighter brackets or even like point systems where you can, you know, like say you want to run this, you want to run that, then you that that a PIP stands for a, P, a PIP stands for performance improvement point. So you've per, you've improved your car, you should be able to drive this much faster, was it right? try to put some number to it and they had a small committee formed and uh, and yeah they they came up with basically a system where the the car each car because we know the pub the, the the horsepower of the car the weight of the car so there's a there's a there's a horsepower to weight in uh, a ratio and then so 60 percent of your their car's base pi comes from that performance index and then 40 percent is what we call the handling index and that's where the most controversial part comes from is because back in the day, it was at best an educated guess. Hmm. 
Well, people are saying rear wheel drives do better than front wheel drive cars, which back, I would say back in the nineties, that's probably accurate. And that's why cars like the Integra Type R were so like mind-boggling, like good because they were a front-wheel drive car that behaved so well. They were they were more the exception to the norm. Whereas nowadays, a lot of good front-wheel drive cars exist. So yep. the torque steer has been like reduced in most of them, right? So like so so that's when 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 we made a distinctive move to question like, hey, is our handling index really? accurate right because it was arbitrary it seemed arbitrary to the outside person so we started moving back i think four years ago to since a lot of organizations like uh, motorsports organizations now they publish lap times they take a car from the factory they, they give the car to say someone like randy popes who's been very consistent by the way and he'll go take out that car at laguna seca or vir or some other track that's somewhat comparable to something we have here and put a laptop laptop down and say, this is the best we could get out of it. So we started putting together our own, like we take their, their data and put together a table and say, look, if a stock BRZ can outrun a whatever car, then by nature, a stock BRZ should be ranked higher than that car, right? And, and again, this is stock to stock. Uh, this doesn't account for adding wheels, tires, which is another layer dimension. So at least we can kind of point to a chart and say, look, this is the basis of our guess, our educated guess, yeah. right? Yeah. And at least it's not as arbitrary going, hey, you guys are screwing over the the 2004 Corvette. Because because in the past, like th there were some lingering luggage issues that OT carried where it's like, oh, well, the guy won. So we're going to, this car is clearly underclassed and we got to bump it up next year. And there was a Bit of a bit of a reputation where we were like we were constantly like people would say OT always screws over the winners, and it's like yeah. mm -hmm. let's try to like erase that thought and yeah. give it a proper scientific uh, backing, saying like this is the car as good as it is, yeah. and that's our foundation. You're never yeah. no one's ever going to say a BRZ is better than Camaro. <laughs> so uh, at least the, at least what Chris is driving, anyways. So there's no yeah. way a BRZ should be ranked as high as a Camaro or vice versa. The Camaro should never be ranked as low as a, as a slightly above a BRZ. So, yeah. so we now have a proper base. The, the question becomes like, like, for example, we're jumping ahead here. I know you had like some questions about the rules. For example, like coilovers, right? Coilovers, how much time do they actually improve? And you can never have an exact answer, but we have to have a right, right rule book. So we yeah. just basically say a coilover <laughs> is worth... Uh, Three for was it? I think it was the other way. Three for shocks and two for springs this year, and and three points. And depending on where what the, your your car, it may affect the number of points you have. Do we have absolute data saying like, ev on average, every car will shave off this many seconds? No, we don't. But ultimately, it's kind of an educated guess based on the vast amount of people that we have motorsports experience in, and say, is it unfair? And we also have to consider age of cars. So, for example, coilovers on a NA Miata will be much bigger improvement than compared to, say, coilovers on a Camaro uh, SS. Well, yeah. you are never going to beat that Multimatic system. <laughs> so, good luck on that one. Try to get, try yeah. to convince me your your your, your KWs are going to be beating that Multimatic system. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, um, one of the episodes. I think last last 
last episode we we had a a q a about you know what what cars do we think is is kind of underclassed yep. uh in ota and i in, in my mind is like kind of two categories like one which is more of like a legacy car that no one's competed in before yep right or uh, a brand new car where you know it's still trying to find its place in the, exactly. the base pip allocation right and it and when you think about that, it really comes down to base pip allocation, right? Yep. For the stock car, like, did we get it right when we when we kind of slotted it in? Um, yep. And as you mentioned, like, it, it's such a hard thing to do because, well, one thing, <laughs> if you're looking at the same source for the original lap times, that's already controlling for a lot of stuff. But we obviously we know like track conditions uh, are huge, and then when you look at competition, most people use 200 treadwear tires, and some cars. From factory are just gonna be undertired. Yep. Uh and other cars, if that was the case, they completely wake up and were probably designed by the engineers if it's a sports car to have more grip. And so like it's kind of like sandbagging in a sense of whatever the stock form was to keep the price down. Yep. So obviously there's there's a, a ton of stuff and I don't think anyone should have the expectation of it being right the first time around. Mm-hmm. But it, then mm-hmm. that does kind of bring up this question around, you know, you mentioned penalizing the the winners in a sense right but that kind of just becomes uh how this uh constant learning and trying to get to the right point happens right and if we look at other race series where it's it's manu- like you know look at like gt3 or something like that where it's like different manufacturers and different cars and they're constantly adjusting balance of performance uh it's other race series will even have success ballast Right for yep. the winners to keep the mm-hmm. the racing tight, right? And so I think when you look at the proxies and getting inspiration from other series, it's not really out of the norm to to kind of have these postseason adjustments, right? Um, even if like it is like a success ballast, right? And maybe it it's not perfectly matched to the performance of the car. As a competitor, uh, from my perspective, I think that would be really cool just to even keep it exciting for. The, the winners or you look at someone like uh, Chris who's been winning so much and you tell him like hey we're going to give you success ballast I don't know I feel like he's the kind of guy that would probably take it as a challenge and be like yeah cool let's see what happens kind of thing although yeah. this year <laughs> it got pretty tight toward the end it, it got super tight like ultimately in the end like the key thing for us is is to be as transparent as possible whereas before like I'm sure even though it meant it was well well intended the fact that there's no transparency oh we're uh, person X, driver X who won it two years in a row, clearly that car is underglassed. We're just going to bump it up by like this much. And the guy looks at it and goes, well, why? Can you, can you quantify that, right? Right? And, and, mm-hmm. and nobody, 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 need, nobody could ask that question or answer it even. Whereas if we have a chart now, we have some, a bit more transparent, people go, okay, I can see where they came from, but they can still argue the minutia of it as opposed to why did I suddenly get why did this car suddenly go up by like, you know, 10 PI? <laughs> like, why did I get bumped to class? Like, right. right. But now you have the data to back it, yeah, right? Like- I think um, Veloster N was a good example. Um, there was, I think, I guess it was Sean Ma who came in uh, probably 2020. Yeah. And then immediately the car got nerfed after. And then this year, I think Elantra N also got nerfed. Um, so yeah. I guess... You have so much data from all these other organizations that it's like very justifiable now. You can't really, yeah. But well, I, I do, I do agree with the fun aspect of doing sort of like a success ballast. Um, 
that that would have been not even just like for entire series winning, but going down to like lower classes where like, you know, the 86 has sort of dominated the GTB, like GT4 class over the past few years. So it would have been interesting to, to see how that played out. But the, the other thing too, that's, that throws the equation together. So one of the things that were hotly debated, like, oh, like lots of background emails flying around, are the twins underclassed? That's always, that's always a perpetual question for the last three, mm -hmm. four years, right? Like every single time, oh, we've got so many twins participated, so many twins wanted in the top 10. Uh, but funny enough, nobody's won it yet. Nobody's still beating Chris yet, but it came awfully close. Like at GP this year, it came down literally to the last lap by Chris Brzezinski to pull off a hero lap to win it. I think you and we had Adam Eugene? Mann, right? What? Ad Adam Mann in 2020. Uh, Adam Mann was competing. Oh wait, that's what was he competing? No, I think it was 2019. I think Adam Mann stopped competing in OTA in 20, 2019. It was last year, I think. Yeah, Eugene yeah. did come in. Didn't he come in first he at the very in, last yeah. event? Right, he came at the very last event. But a GP, I think Eugene was like Eugene or, or or someone was close was basically winning until Chris put him down his hot lap. Oh, I think it was. Um... Well, something. so this, this is something we'll kind of get into, right? Which is like the factor, yeah. the PIP factor or IPAX factor for fast tracks, right? That podium this year, and I, and I think who you're thinking was actually was Daniel Santabanez was leading oh, maybe in, okay. in the e Echo, right? Um, and then, uh, yeah, down to the last lap. <laughs> yeah. And Chris pulled out a 129. Yep. Uh, and the Camaro was crazy. Old lap too. Yeah, it was an old. Yeah. Lap, but we told him, "Hey, you go out there, you get one minute lap, and you get one lap to settle it all, and you come back in." And yeah, yeah. he he put down a sporter of a lap, right? So so the ultimately in the end, like at least my, what I was envisioning for the series is just to to, to and then and, and keep in mind, like it's not just me in the background. Like like you said, the street clubs, there's guys like Gary Vernon, Dave Barker, and these guys, they all put in their their time and sweat into this. So it's not just me, but ultimately what, what I, what I wanted for the, for the series was, was to make it as exciting as possible. Right. And gee, I couldn't have asked for a better results at, at GP or, or even a DDT when Eugene won it. Right. So although DD, uh, yeah, DDT was interesting because the first day we had rain, the second day we had nice weather. So it was, it was such a, it was such a, it was like basically all the racing excuses came out. <laughs> yeah. That's when you know it's good, though. Yeah, so yeah it, was a, it was a crazy season. Crazy season. Loved every minute of it. Yeah. So, you know, in, in discussing the some of the, you know, quote-unquote controversies and back and forth and getting driver input, one of the, the cool things about OT, I know, is the uh, annual banquet, right? Award ceremony and discussion of, you know, getting feedback from the community. Unfortunately for me this year, I, I missed it because I was out of town, but I know obviously, Kevin, you were there. And then I think Patrick, you were there as well this year. So I, I'm yep. really curious to hear y your guys's, uh, you know, recap or summary of, of how that uh, driver meeting went and, and what the, the main topics of conversation were this year. Uh, I think so, uh, one of the ones... Well, uh, go ahead, Patrick. Uh, the, uh, one of the ones as like, the topic of discussion or of debate was whether or not um, a bucket seat was yeah. should be like a free pip. Um, there, there's one school of thought was okay. It's adding safety. Uh, people are 
more like secure in the car. They can maneuver the car better and safely take it um, from like a point of control versus like if you're not in a seat where you're locked in, you're kind of like sliding, you have less control of the car, more accident prone. So the argument was that it should be a free pip similar to how a roll bar is a free pip. Um, there, there are obviously some underlying factors. Like if you were to put a bucket seat in an old car, it might actually be more dangerous because of old technology rollover protection. But in a modern car that is like less prone to the roof crushing you, um, where the seat is less of a safety device, that's that's where a lot of the drivers are coming in with like, okay, maybe these the, the seat should be free um, because otherwise like people are purposely putting the stock seats back in their car and that's just to satisfy the point system. Yeah, that, yeah. That, I remember there was, there was, we spent a good chunk of time on that and there was a lot of deliberation even after the, the banquet about, yeah, so ultimately the way the way the, the organizing committee looked at it, uh, yeah, like you said, you covered the, the argument for making it free very well. Like they were, I was arguing safety, control of the car vehicle, all that fun stuff. But the ultimate argument was that like with the, the key thing is the putting a bucket seat will re result in the increase in confidence in car control. You can push hard, easier to limits and more repeatable. And ultimately that means in a short span of three laps, three hot laps per session, which is how OTA runs, you do get that edge up over someone that's not in a in a bucket seat. Mm. Right? Unfortunately, it like like you said, like you covered a very good span of like things that we have to cover, like old cars, new cars, and 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 especially some of the new cars, the seats are damn heavy, man. So yeah. like not yeah, with all the electronics. That, like, yeah, like a lot of electronics, a lot of weight. It's like massagers. Yeah, massagers. BMWs. <laughs> I think at one point popped out at like forty something pounds a seat. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think 50 pounds is usually about yeah. right for a seat. Yeah. Like, that's insane. So ultimately, we like, no, we're not, unless we see compelling evidence where it's like, it's not adding anything. It's like, yeah, uh, chances are, um, we're, we're, it's a safer bet to say like a bucket seat, a rigid, uh, let's be very careful, a, ri a bucket seat that's a, a rigid back, right? So you can, you can upgrade to a Recaro, like a reclining seat, right? That's, that's a free pip technically. Yeah. But it's nowhere. That's you not just, you get dinged on the airbag removal or whatever. Yeah, yeah. If, gutting if, your car, the... if your car came with airbags, which yeah. more than mm -hmm. nowadays, yes, it does. So yeah. So so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little devil's advocate here, right? Like obviously I know like this the, the seat is like probably like the the pinnacle debate in the series. Yes. Right now. If you can solve seats, then everything else is harmonious, right? Because it's just like a great <laughs> great uh, uh, point of contention, right? And so. Like the things that you mentioned about the performance, right? So inspiring driver confidence, yep. being able to push more consistently, you could say the same exact thing about brakes, right? Yes. Inspire confidence, yes. more consistency. And and that that comes as free, right? And so right. I obviously like I, I do think and, and one of my questions I want to talk about is like, you know, when we think about these rules, if we Forget about the actual mechanics of the the specific device, and think about the principles at play. Yep. Um, you know what what are the things that uh, you're you're thinking about, or the or the classification committee is thinking about in deliberating the the merits of of a change or, or to keep something the same. 
so ultimately we are look at does it still make sense is it still valid right so for example one of the things that we changed uh, for what we believe is for the better is like we said coilovers right coilovers used to be uh, for the four and two and now we're saying like coil like modern day cars now come with very well designed suspension it's not like a we're not talking about cars in the 80s where they slapped on any like it's good enough right cheapo cheaper coilovers and suspension technology has come a long way since then too, right? Like, and, and that's why I kind of hinted at Chris's Camaro that runs a Multimatic, uh, like, you know, that that yep. ridiculous system. Are you going to find, are you, is is anyone that's buying that Camaro really going to go out there and up and upgrade <laughs> that Multimatic system to say, I don't know, Olin's or whatever, whatever they have for that car. I don't necessarily know. Like, is it going to be better? And the argument that we debated back and forth is saying, look, Another point that was brought up during, during the banquet was that like OTA has a recipe right now for success. Buy a good stock car and minimize the build as much as possible. So are we basically telling people with crazy modified cars, sorry, you're, not, you're just not competitive, right? Or are we just turning those people away? And the answer is no, that wasn't our intention. Yep. So we looked at, the one thing that people almost always come with is coilovers because they don't know any better at the time. All right. And I really feel bad for OEM suspension engineers because they put a shit ton of work into designing a, a coilover that works for the street and for sports cars on track as well. Right. So, so we looked, we took, looked through a long and hard look at, at, uh, at the coilover rule. And look, if people come with that, are, are they really going to upset the series if, say, we reduce it by a point? Or maybe even two points. We even debated at one point. Let's drop it to four, right? Let's drop it to four. And we're like, oh, four points. If you look at that chart that converts the the, SP, the suspension pips to the final PI, four mm -hmm. points could swing them, would swing a decent amount. So we're like, okay, let's just be conservative a little bit. Let's do a little notch at a time and go down to five and see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. We get more people with with coilover showing up. Going, oh, they're not. They're not. They don't think they're being screwed over that badly, right? Ultimately we have to think the bigger picture and say, are we opening a door fairly to more people joining the series? Yeah. So like, yeah, that makes sense. Coilovers was the big one where it's like, like I can't think of too many, unless like you literally get a proper team to, to tune a suspension for a specific track. Like, like literally bring in someone that, that does all like the data analysis, everything for that driver, for that car, for that tire. To tune for say DDT versus TMP, like I think the Honda Honda suspension is going to be on average relatively good. So yeah. like unless like unless you do some crazy analysis like through Patrick Alex there and figuring out all this all this detail, your average person is not going to slap on Olin's on a Civic Type or a new Civic Type R, and be definitively better just because of the Olin's. For five mm -hmm. pips, I don't think so. Not not on modern sports cars. Yeah, that's exactly. a that's a real tough ask. So that's yeah. why I'm saying, like, I think even that five pips was a conservative step towards improvement, but we can gather more data and see from there. I think that's right. So so what kind of what I'm I'm getting away from this is like obviously when when assessing the rules from a principal's perspective, and 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 I know that actually if if people have take the time and want and want to read, there's actually a set of principles in the rule book as yes. to how. Yes. how things are, are kind of debated. 
Um, but just as a summary of this conversation, you know, we mentioned things like we want to promote safety, but we also want to promote things that are make this a more uh, open and approachable series for people to kind of join as well, right? And so there's a lot of um, using the the rules and in, in responsible ways to kind of promote the behaviors that we want to see uh, as well in the drivers. I, I I do want to mention one last thing about this the the whole seat debacle. I know you, you probably want to move away from it, but I keep <laughs> wanting to pull back because it's it's such a great topic of conversation. I, I just love how you know there's different size different sides of the conversation from which lens you apply, right? In terms of the principles uh, as to where you stand on the conversation, right? And and here's my perspective, and I kind of want to get your thoughts on it because there is that rollover risk uh, when, when we're racing and thinking about fixed back seats, in my mind, uh, and this is a personal perspective, right? and I think some people have different views as like, oh, you know, modern cars are maybe the B pillar is a little bit more stiffer and you, you don't have to worry as much as, as you used to. But I kind of think of it as like, if you're going to go fixed back seat, you're going to do a roll hoop of some sort. Yep. Um, and so like what what about something where it's almost like an all or nothing kind of situation where if you want to do a bucket seat, you have to do a roll hoop, you have to do the Hans. And that kind of makes it a, a bigger, you know, commitment for for drivers, right? And that negative pip offset of the of the cage kind of gets taken up by the seat. And so if you combine it together, maybe it becomes like a zero pip situation, but you gotta take the whole pack. Yeah. So so ultimately you're right. Like the, the basis of foundation for for a lot of our zero pips or even negative pip uh, rules is to promote safety. Like if you put it, if you decide to, to slap in a full cage and have fire suppression, I believe we give back two pips, right? Mm-hmm. Negative two pips, and 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 roll hoops, uh, with the exception of convertibles. Uh, if you put them in, you also get a negative as well. Uh, ultimately, in the end, it's like. Like on, on my personal stance, and this is just me as Kevin Wong, and uh, like the problem with safety, I think a lot of people don't realize is that it was never. There's no such thing as a single safety element. They all work mm-hmm. in concert. And as an engineer, it's like I always say, like, look, you 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 can put it in the bucket seat, and yes, it it gets you more rigid, upright. But is the car surrounding it just as rigid and upright? Upright, if you say you're racing at 87 Civic. Versus a modern, even an ND Miata. I've seen an ND Miata roll over a TMP, and it held up surprisingly really well. RF, like we were, we were joking. Uh, I was working with Doug Ironoff at NV Auto. I was like, "Hey, it held up. Does it really need a roll bar?" <laughs> and it rolled pretty bad on turn two, too. So it's like, um, but ultimately, yeah. yeah, it's like, do you want to? The, the problem with safety is like one bad safety incident will mm. ruin, will, will ruin everything. Yep. So ultimately. Yep as an organization, it, it's, it sucks because we have to be air on the side of caution, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we don't want someone to roll over and go, why didn't he have a roll bar? Why did he have this? And why is he suddenly, why is his neck broken or whatever? This like, like, we gotta, like, like, you want to be pragmatic about it? Yes, we do care about the competitor, but we also care about, you know, the viability of the series too. So like, uh, when it comes to the seat, there's no half measure. So if you put on the seat, you'll be more rigid upright. And chances are, you put in a seat. Is it compatible with the, the factory OEM three point? Probably not. So if you're putting, a, if you're not putting an OEM three point, then you're putting in. Are you putting in a four point or five point? Okay, at that point, your body is super rigid to that seat. Even if you get in a frontal collision, you're gonna break your neck if you don't wear your hands. Mm-hmm. So I've always personally carried the opinion that 
safety should be an all or nothing issue. If you're going to go as far back as putting a, a, a rigid seat, which is why I said at the, the, at the competitors meeting, you should put in a proper, at least a harness bar and a harness. At least at the very minimum, bare minimum. Ideally, put in a proper half cage to have rollover protection. In the off chance you go smack into like go 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 the wrong way down 5A at GP and you do come into a rollover situation, I know that the best possible technology was there to save your life. Mm-hmm. For sure. So yeah. so yeah, it sucks to be the fun police, but at the same time, it's like I'm I'm really looking out for you guys. That's all I am. So I was like, I I've been in the car with I've I've had dumb days where I like yeah I've been in a car with uh, with 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 a with a fixed back seat and a five point harness and no Hans and I realized this is not a good thing if I hit hit a wall <laughs> and I go mm-hmm. yeah that was dumb right? yeah like, like people like, yeah. I see people on the streets that for the cool factor have their harnesses on and I'm like you know in the street you're likely to get into a car to car accident or a car to a stationary object and you're gonna break your neck for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of, and that's why I was, I was, I, I didn't mean it as like a kind of brown nosing moment, but I was really happy when Jason Lee showed up to the track with a proper Hans. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, bravo, man! Like, good for you. Like, someone he just wants to look cool. Well, I mean, it looks cool. That's <laughs> it looks Safety like, is cool, guys. Safety is cool. Safety is cool. Like, that's, was, that's the exact reason I bought. Slides, and I'm like, bravo, man. That that's. That's why I bought his Hans off of him so I could be as cool as him. So now hit both him and I both rock hybrid S's like yeah. it's gangster. <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it looks good. It looks like, like especially when you unclip everything, like you come out of the car, you got, it looks good. It looks, yeah. it looks like it. So the problem is, again, a hybrid S is what, 1200 bucks? Brand new? Probably yeah. more than that. Yeah. Probably more than that. So it's like, yeah, it's like 15. Well, yeah. So it's, I can see like the both sides of the argument where it's like it's stupid expensive, but then I always flip the, the counter argument with anyone in safety like that comes back to you: Is your life worth it? Yeah. Or like not even your life. What if you're like paralyzed from the neck down? You're not dead. That's the worst part. Right. So like, yeah, you gotta live that way. Worth it. It's like uh... so yeah. Like like sorry not to answer your question directly, but like that's basically the the the, the approach that we take, right? Uh, like, yeah, it sucks, but that's why even at the, at the at the banquet, I said, don't start with the safety argument because now it can you the lack of evidence doesn't necessarily mean it's it's fine, right? You won't find papers mm. out there that said that say, hey, uh, a half cage with a fixed back is fine because people go either full cage or no cage. There's no there's no real evidence. It's like that that the half cage is fine. And if you really want me to, to to nitpick, like okay, like how did Dale Earnhardt die? Not Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, Dale Earnhardt. He, yep. he, yeah. What did Basal he die? Basal neck right? fracture. Yep. yep. No Hans. Yeah. Back before they were, you know, widely proliferated. But yeah. I think that was also a big, like, you know, moment in motorsports that really uh, pushed for, yep. you know, head and neck restraints. So. So ultimately, mm-hmm. like, don't don't get started with like safety thought because then it's like, okay, then you. Then show me your home, like like any like any papers. Like show me your homework, show me your research, show me this. Like it's you know, safety is not a half. There's no such thing as a half approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it's a whole this holistic approach of everything working in concert together. Yeah, and I, I think it's like one of those things where when you don't think about it first and foremost from a safety perspective as you're kind of assessing individual pieces yeah. of safety equipment, right? Like, as you, like I think, you know, Patrick and I, you, you're preaching to the choir because when we do endurance racing, like you, you, we have to think about everything safety first primarily, and then you figure it out. Yeah. And you kind of understand as you're installing these safety pieces by the rule book, as you're forced to do, you, through that journey, you start to understand, okay, like that's actually what it's used for. Uh, and then in your mind, you have a more accurate simulation of like, okay, if I were to get into this type of accident, be it like, you know, frontal impact, uh, you kind of have a better working model of <laughs> what your body's going to do during yep. that moment. Right. Um, and even that, like one of the things that is, is still not, um, and, and maybe the, the data is still out on it a little bit, or the, the culture is kind of catching up to is like side impact, right? Yep. Uh, you might think that wearing a Hans and having a bucket seat and a cage and whatnot, like you're you're pretty good on on side impact. But now there are different models coming out for head and neck restraints that have better uh, side impact. So, for example, the the Simpson setup with uh, with the hybrid has two tethers, right? So that it has it, you can hold your your head and the helmet on lateral impact much better. Plus, we know that not all racing seats have the halo or yep. the bunny ears or whatever you want to call it to, to kind of keep your, your, your head in place. Right. That that's not just so that you can't see all your side view mirror. That's actually <laughs> there to do something. Um, so, you know, five years from now, we have the same conversation. There'll be new advancements. Right. And I think that's, that's just, yeah. Yeah. You know. And, and maybe that's, that's a good thing because part of qualifying new safety equipment is that you need data and, because racing has gotten that much safer, like you're not going to see the as much of the critical failures um, and and high risk situations as as we used to. And, and don't forget mm -hmm. too, like we're ultimately grassroots, so a lot of the big money is not being spent necessarily on the grassroots level. It's on the higher level, and then we have to assume it trickles down to some degree, right? Like when they designed the Hans, they didn't say, "Oh, some guy in time attack is going to be running a car, and like how is it going to how is it going to be that much better than no Hans?" They're looking at a full-on yeah. race car, right? So, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. The other, um, the other perspective from like installing all the safety devices is that we, in OTA, there are primarily street-driven cars, yeah. so it's hard to get somebody to say like, let's compromise potentially your insurance policy by putting a um, seat and definitely like the, the, real roll bar like those are kind of questionable in terms of like car insurance. So how do we promote more entries into the series when we're saying like, oh, to be really competitive in here, you should compromise the the day-to-day -day lifestyle for yep. this racing series that you spend five weekends a year doing, right? It's a hard ask. It is, it is. I mean, that's where like, that's where, that's where we have to look ourselves in the mirror and look at our audience and go, you know, yes, OTA does have a recipe, like going back to our point earlier, and it does lean more towards a stock vehicle, but we don't mm -hmm. want to also say, tell people that, that we want to see the nice cars show up too, right? We want to see the, the purpose-built like track cars show up and like really do their thing. Right? Mm -hmm. like, we want... Jason Lee. <laughs> <laughs> when this car works, when this car 
Yeah. <laughs> he showed up there one yeah, hero laugh. Who laughs? Oh my God. One hero yeah. Like, wow, what a guy. The most important <laughs> tool that Jason Lee brings to the track is his phone. <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave oh that at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, I mean, we talked about the coilover and pips, yep. right? Being down, uh, down adjusted. Uh, another one that I noticed that I think is pretty meaningful, although like the absolute change is not that much, is um, alignment as well. Yes. Right. Um, now I'm I'm curious as as these things were discussed, were those changes plus the other changes are these typically unanimous within the car classification committee or or the the rules committee or was there a little bit back and forth within the the internal group as well? So the alignment and the coilover specifically, those are basically unanimous because everyone says alignment is right. I think at the start off, I was thinking it's like well, two pips, two mm-hmm. S pips, and remember two S pips doesn't necessarily translate to five, two final pi. Depending on your car, like if your car had like crappier handling, then yeah, it translates to more. But there is almost, I can't think of a single, like we ultimately we all said to each other, honestly, like, is there a single car out there that takes an alignment and will not drastically improve? It's like, no. So it is one of the, uh, it was always regarded as one of the most underrated pips. So Mm -hmm. we're like, okay, if that's the case, then that's when we, we find it out. Like, look, the coilovers I think are actually way over, way over, uh, way overrated. We uh, we we talked about it. We're like, are you really gonna like? I use Chris's car because that was literally a car in this example. Are you really gonna be Multimatic at their design? Are you really gonna be Honda? Like, you know, that well, that easily on on for six pips, six S pips. And ultimately, everyone looked and said, yeah, no. But like, the question is, how much are we dropping it by? So like, we took a conservative approach and dropped it to five, right? Uh, not always like we haven't had any, we haven't had any major, aside from like, we actually have more issues with car classing than we do actually with rules. Car mm. classing is always a never ending raging debate because like, like for example, the twins, twins have always been brought up the last three, four years where are they underrated? Are they underrated? Because everyone knows they came with the crappy primacy tires and we did take factor into account. We said the primacy tires about, what was it? 85% of a decent Decent, uh, and we're not even talking the top of the line 200 Jaguar. We're compared to other manufacturers that that come with uh, OEM tires, they're about 85% of the of, of the better tire, of a better street tire. I'm not comparing. You know, I know like some some cars come with like slicks on them. We're not comparing those, but like your average street legal OEM tire, we're saying the frequency is about 85% drip wise, performance wise to those. Is that accurate? It might need some adjustment. I'm not saying it is, but we do factor that into account. But car classing is always difficult because, for example, personal experience, the S2000, it it really wakes up on alignment, hmm. just alignment alone. I, I think personally, uh, from personally, a little bit of driver development and but the alignment itself, like I shaved off two seconds of DDT, like just simply because you, I wasn't scrubbing my sidewalls on my RS3s at the time. Right? That's like, okay, I'm just, I can turn in that much better. Right. And then the big, big argument this year was like, why does OTA permit tire width up to a certain amount before it extends past the fenders for free? Because some cars can take on more width than others. Right. And ultimately, we don't have the database. We can't say, like, I know exactly what that new Veloster end can, how much tire that can fit, because they don't publish this stuff. 
So, so that was a big debate saying we should start penalizing that. And we're like, well, where do we start? Like, how do we know? Like, so this year we're just going to fact finding mission and just yeah. when it comes to tech, we're going to record what actual tire width they're running and then see who actually, because we know the OEM tire width. So we can see the plus, plus minus. Well, there's only plus. Yeah. So how much, how much more tires is everyone actually getting? So yeah. Stuff like that. That's- I've got a question on that, Kevin. Yeah. Um, the, the selection for, for um, your data collection was width. Yes. But um, if I got a, a 215, like, or 225 sized Nikang CRS. Yep. And compared it to a 255, um, I don't know, say RS4. Yeah. You, you could say that, like, yep. the RS4 is still going to grip less due to compound, but they're both 200 treadwear. So why was the selection width? I'm, like, what's the justification? Width is just simply ease of data collection because ultimately, in the end, like, a width is a published known value. Even though I know, okay. I know we could argue because a two forty five RS four is not is going to be wider than a uh, was it, yeah. uh, a two forty five uh, uh, AO fifty two, mm. right? Because I know I rubbed, I know I rubbed in the S two thousand on two four uh, even a two forty fives, but magically if I went to RE seventy one Rs at the time uh, or even AO fifty twos, a two forty five would not rub. <laughs> so I'm like, eh, okay, even these are. And then someone explained to me from a tire company as to why they're called 245. Ultimately, what actually contacts the road, if it was vertical, is truly mm. to the left. It's just the build of the tire. That changes. So we had to pick a data point that was okay. reliable enough to say, this manufacturer says it's 245. Right? So otherwise, we'd be, we'd be spending, if you think about it, like in the grand scheme of things. So let's just say, like in a perfect world, I would be empirically measuring the actual width of the tire, right? Mm-hmm. Like a uh, sidewall to sidewall. But that right. takes like, say, let's just say magically, it only takes me two minutes. I've got 60 competitors okay. coming through tech. That's 120 minutes that I got to spend. Mm-hmm. I don't have that time. And so ultimately, it's a balance between right. resources and the ability to execute fairly. Okay. Fair. Fair. I just don't want the uh, listener to have the perspective that tire width is the only yeah. factor in what 100%. makes... Um, Performance tire better. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It just makes me think of like, you know, the the fender rule. Uh, if somebody wants to push it to the extreme, they can do like a uh, brake conversion to run the the brake caliber closer to the diff in the rears, <laughs> and then run like a, a, an insane offset on the wheel <laughs> to just basically have it just butt it up the face of the wheel, butt it up against the uh, against the. Uh, the rotor, not the rotor, sorry. The brakes uh, are free. Yeah. Ultimately, like, as with any racing organization, right, it's always going to be reactionary. Someone's going to yeah. think of something and we're like, ah, oh, crap. We need to, we need to patch that up. Yeah. 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 I w- so I, I want to come back to this like topic of making the series accessible. Right? And, I, and I do think coilover is like, as a, Back in the day when I was a new competitor coming in, I that's what my first instinct was like, wow, like coilovers are worth a lot. Um, and when we think about pipeline and think about who are the people that are wanting to do time attack for the first time, right? Usually it's not going to be your first time on track and people tend to want to compete after they get a sense for like, oh, like the times I'm putting down at my local track, they seem like they would be 
in the realm of of competitive uh, right. in the series, right? After they take a look at the published lap times, but then they start to realize, like, oh, all the things I've done to my car to get there, um, to enhance the performance, to enhance the uh, ease of maintenance, right? Um, they they put you way out of class uh, for something. So, like for example, like you know, aero components. Maybe you put them on for looks. Maybe for a little bit of grip, they're worth a lot. Coilovers are worth a lot. If you did force induction, like good luck. <laughs> like yeah, you're, you're you're hip to the moon at that point, right? Um, so you know, I the, what I see with the coilover seems like a, a step in that direction, as you mentioned. Um, but what else can we do as an organization to kind of bring those people in? Because it, it almost seems like, as you said, the best way to do this is like once you feel like OTA is something that you want to do, you almost want to start from a scratch car from factory, right? That's like decent. Yeah. Uh, so you get a whole bunch of stuff for free and then just do something like, you know, tires and alignment. Yeah, so that's one of the big approaches, like just the long-term health uh, for the series is <clears throat> how do we get more people into this? And realistically, like I mentioned before, like Time Attack is a stepping stone uh, to a lot of other motorsports, right? So we're we're basically level two of like, if you think about level zero as like, I bought a car. Right? Level one would be like, I take it to the track. Level two is I take it to now Ontario Time Attack. Right? So what OTA has done this year, and we announced it at the competitors meetings, we're doing a lot more lapping days now. Right? Mm. So you don't have to worry about like being competitive. It's a lapping day. Right? We happen to just run our timing system for it. You get to see your lap times. There's coaches on hand. Should you require to hire one for the day? Whatever. Right? Note, there's a chill atmosphere. We try and make it as no, low pressure as possible, but it just so happens to run very similar to how we run our, la our competitive days, which is we group you by, by, by lap times. Uh, obviously, we have to tinker a little bit because your peak lap time of specific beginners or like close to beginners, well, your peak lap time, your average lap time is probably going to have a decent variance, right? Uh, so so we'll, we'll, have, we'll, we'll tweak that a little, probably run on average lap times. But the problem with the problem that I, I've seem to recognize at least when I join any lapping organization, it's like it's advanced, intermediate, beginner, right? And advanced could mean at any Miata doing like, doing like a minute 40 at GP, which is stupidly fast for any Miata. But then you've got an M2 that in, in, in intermediate that can like easily put that down even if the driver's like half asleep <laughs> if he's doing anything decently right. So my, our approach to OTA was, okay, look, let's, the selling point for us was always we give you as clean of a lap as possible, right? And what better way for beginners to come on track and not constantly be looking at the rear mirror, right? So, so to open up the atmosphere to make it less, less pressure. If you run with people that are, if you show up and you say I only do a two minute lap at GP, sure, I don't care what car you drive, I'm going to slap you in with a guy that runs two minutes as well, right? So then you're like, okay, now you don't, you're not looking at the mirror, you're looking at your lines, you can get some coaching. It's the low, low pressure environment for you to grow and eventually go, oh, okay, I can actually end off two seconds, I'm happy. And then I want to come back to more of this, right? And then, then the question for us becomes, you enjoyed that. How about you take the exact same approach, but just change the word to laughing with the competition. Everything else is the same. And that's the stepping stone, right? You go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Is everything the same? Yeah, yeah. We group you by lap time. You don't have to worry about someone coming up to rear view mirror. You have to point them by while you're going into turn just before you head into turn five at GP. 
right? Not as, not, not as badly, like per lap, right? Like there have been days where I've been to like other lapping days. I'm in the same class as everyone, but everyone's got 150 horsepower more than me. And I'm like, go, 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 right? Like it's not fun. Mm-hmm. So if we can distill that, take that away and make that, you know, make that less distracting. Granted, there's still going to be by situations, but it should be minimal. We've basically done everything we can, right? Leverage all resources to, to make, make that possible. And then that's what I'm hoping that uh, will bring people to, okay, I go to the lapping day, they run timing, they run it by. And we have to sell that feature. We'll tell people, you're going to be grouped by lap times, not because I've done 10 lapping, lapping days. I'm intermediate now, right? And certainly, I like, I like this a lot. Yeah. It certainly yeah, I mean, the... mean like goes, I should be an advanced because I drive a 500 horsepower, you know, that guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it really fosters a culture of, um, I think, to, to make it less pressure. Oftentimes, at least when I was coming up in like lapping days, you know, to, to constantly be looking in your rear view and like knowing yep. there was a faster car coming, you don't know like what the timing is and like all the mechanics yep. all at once and all the things that you're trying to take in as like, you know, this, you're going so fast, you've never really understood how to do this before. Um, yep. It's so positive. And it also puts people with, um, you know, it's it's a big ego booster for me when I drive an advanced group and I'm like cooking behind some dude who spent way more than me and in, in his more expensive 100%. car. Yep. And then on the flip side, guy with the more expensive car is like, no, I need to, I need to keep on doing this because I can't, can't, I can't be bullied by Miatas and BRZs all day. I need to keep going and get better at this. So, um, yeah, no, I, I really like the concept of bracket based lapping days. I think it's, I, I hope we as a, a podcast can help advertise this a little bit more because it's such a unique offering, uh, like at least within the Ontario space of, of, of lapping yeah, organizations. Ultimately, we're the only organization that actually has their own timing year that does lapping days. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's we just paid how much for this equipment, might as well use it. For sure. And it only fosters a better environment, not worse. So like, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone gets to see, everyone see the lap times and, and if, and, you know, and if they're serious about it, they can come back, enjoy it, or they can, you know, like they can hire a coach and get into their schools, get some data acquisition and then figure out, oh, oh, I can go in a little bit, do this a little bit better, do that a little bit, or I can even watch someone that's, hey, he runs a minute 50, but I run a minute 50, but he drives a BRZ and I'm driving this, 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 this much better sports car. What's he doing different? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. eke their way out out of, out of that. And again, it's lapping. It's 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 not meant. It's not competition. Because once people hear the word competition, they they back away. They're like, oh, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I, I did the yeah. same thing too. I was like, I did a bunch of schools. I did this. and still got my ass kicked. <laughs> but but I, I saw <laughs> I saw good people drive. I'm like, like I saw like guys like I was competing against guys like Adam Mann, Alex Bellardo. I'm like, holy crap! Like they're really good at this, right? And what makes them good, especially when I get at OT, I get graded behind one of them. Like, wow, okay, okay. You get to see them in action. So that's primarily the biggest step that we made as an organization because obviously track costs are not getting, they keep getting going up every year. We've mm-hmm. committed more capital basically to, to investing into all these track days. And ultimately, like, we just hope people can can see the value of, of us adding timing and like you said, the, the, the bracket style uh, gridding like, which takes work because we have to actually look at, you know, which is not just like you're in advance and that's it. We don't do anything for the rest of the day. 
right? We, we, we look at you and we, right, you would come to you and say, hey, would you like to move down or move up? You know, like it might be more comfortable for you there, right? And we don't want someone going up to like show up and say, I'm, I'm intermediate. And then does like a minute 32 at GP and <laughs> scare everybody. You got guys that like like that ego boost, right? Like you, get, you sometimes you do get guys that go, I'm intermediate. Like, dude, you're not intermediate. Like you need to like move up the bracket to to not terrorize people as much. It's just Jason Lee showing up with a mustache and some glasses, <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh, oh, we're just ripping on this episode. Yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. And you know, meanwhile, you know, you got Chris, Chris Mazinski, he's just like, eh, whatever, man. I'll just make do with whatever, whatever you give me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is gonna be pretty novel, right? Like, and especially for people who want to, like, in more of like an open lapping situation, put down uh, some flyers. They can have that stamp of approval. Like, hey, this was not uh, a satellite-based timing system. It was like literally. You know, wires in the ground. This is the actual yep. lap time. So I think that'll be that'll be pretty cool. And let's make it so it's good enough for us. Yeah, and and so yeah. like speaking of these, you know, uh, unique value props, if you will, going into twenty twenty four, there's going to be now three pretty reputable time attack series, right? Like there's of course there's CSCS, there's OTA, and then now CTAC started last year and this year um, going strong again. And, you know, for the longest time, OTA, I think one of our biggest uh, value props is like, hey, we're the only time attack organization doing GP. And now CTAC is also running there as well. Uh, what do you kind of see as like the way to continue to to be a value add to, to drivers and, and also kind of have it distinct from these other series? Ultimately, in the end, like uh, our biggest value add is our experience. Like uh, the number one thing that people walk away from OTA is like 99.99% of the time people say it's well run at least the on track portion is well run and it's 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 well oiled we 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 knock out we knock out cars as quickly as possible and then and it's relatively it's relatively safe like we have a full complement of safety crew and you don't you don't appreciate that until someone actually has a wreck right and then we we have a dedicated flatbed at GP we have all this all this stuff that comes with the whole cast core affiliation, right? Like I'm not mm-hmm. allowed to do a lot of what I what we do at OTA. Uh I'm sorry, outside of OTA, like because Cascore says you gotta have this, right? You gotta do this. And, and sure, we'll we'll do all that. And and then our experience in just running track events up in the tower, like you know, like we're not this is not our first rodeo, right? So we have all that documented. We have people in roles that they need to be and if something happens, it's Game plan. Just go stick up the game plan and execute, right? Yeah. Right. So, so the, the the big value prop that that we hope to continue to offer is like like we try to grid people by like you said like like we like I just said like by by lap times. You're you're, you're you should be competitive in your group. You chase people. You have the sensation of because everyone likes the sensation of the chase, but not so much. You don't hear people say I love to be in traffic. Very rare. Unless you're really mm. bred into in the whole wheel to wheel, I love like I actually like traffic wheel to wheel. When I was doing karting, I loved it. When I was by myself, I sucked. And someone said, "Why don't you do time attack?" <laughs> it's actually the other way around. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, like, you like put me in to start the race, coach, because I love that sensation of going to the first turn. Everyone tries to win the race in the first turn. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, but not a lot of people like that. So, like, I get it, and, and we give you the sensation of the chase. Without 
without necessarily the chaos that comes with everyone doing that at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And and I do think, you know, you mentioned being part of a broader governing body yeah, with a lot of experience and, you know, being very safety-minded. That, you know, my perspective, right? I think it makes a big difference, especially for when you're just coming into this 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 scene, right, where everyone's a little bit nervous about their first-time experience. Um, and, you know, uh, in the past episodes of this podcast, like, I've been a big proponent of talking about psychological safety when it comes to, like, doing these type of events. And obviously, I, I'm not going to name any names or point any fingers, but you do get a sense for, like, some different organizations where maybe the top priority is the schedule, right? Making sure everything goes. Um, and you you get that sense of pressure, right? Like, it, where, like, you know, oh, crap, like, if I have a mechanical, like... I might be stuck out there or they're not really they're they're I'm gonna get a lot of pressure to try and get the car off and it may not be uh, the way that I want it to happen kind of yeah. thing right whereas I, I feel like you know when we would go to OTA like there's like a recognition of like hey like people put a lot of time and effort into running this event but also they respect the competitors of of you know we know this is your car is probably your baby and your your like obsessive hobby and you're putting a lot of your expendable income into this like we're gonna try and balance how we deal with this. Obviously, everyone's paying to be here and in get in getting the 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 their their time on 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 track. But I do feel like there's a mutual respect of like, hey, like this could have happened to anyone, and we'll make sure that you're kind of taken care of, right? Like I've I've never felt mm-hmm. um, any anxiety with having you know mechanicals at, with OTA, and it's happened to me before. Like you know, I've had big loops i've broken axles and and every time it's like you know it's a bit of like a sorry everybody sorry everybody for ruining your lap time but like you know nobody nobody gets upset over it because things happen right and ultimately the yeah. the side thing that i can't say ot is well not necessarily ot is responsible for but it's a it's a selling point that we have a great community right like like a lot of people in the ot chat a lot of people when people like blow an engine or something happens Everyone's willing to chip in, like or like help out whatever way they can to get a competitor back up in their seat, right? Or even to get just to get home necessarily. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's 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 something that I find that really is. I don't know if you necessarily know how to sell it because it sounds kind of hokey, but mm-hmm. everyone at OTA really like like really does care for like care for each other. Whereas if you go to a lot of other other, I shouldn't say other series, but even like car clubs, right? Like there's that clique. And they're like, oh, yep. you gotta be in and all you gotta be mm-hmm. in, you gotta be in the in crowd. Whereas OT is like, hey, glad you made it out here, right? Like, let's go have some fun. And, and, and that's basically it, right? Like it's it comes as a pro and con because on one hand, people think, oh, everyone's too friendly, but like, but there's still great rivalries, right? Yeah. Like like Giovanna yeah. talks trash so much to Jason Lee. <laughs> <laughs> that's that yeah, that's a fun rivalry to, to look yeah. at. Let me let me be my own devil's advocate on this this point a little bit, um, because one of the things with with a point system is that you know inevitably you, you do have uh, protests right in dealing with yeah. that, and, and this year like I I will admit like I I filed a protest this year and it was a really tough thing to do because again like I don't want to impact that yeah. community vibe and I have a lot of respect for all the drivers including you know the driver that that I protested I, I filed a protest against Ryan this year. Um, and I think that like, it was really hard to process at the time because you don't want there to be any ill against other drivers because most of the time is, I don't think it's intentional, right? Like Ryan inherited that car. 
and I totally get it. Like when you don't know like what's kind of happened to the vehicle, it's really hard to kind of uh, pip it out. Um, but like one of the things I also recognize, like just being selfish for a moment. It's like, oh man, like putting time and effort into coming here. Uh, it's also costing on my family for me to be here, right? And them like letting me do this. Um, it's like, you know what? Like, uh, yeah, selfishly, I'm going to do it for myself, but I feel like it's also like a thing that would be great for anybody else to kind of experience as well, right? Yeah. Um, and I know like this year, we also uh, introduced like this concept of like the the random checks kind of thing. Um, you know, how did that kind of come about? And do you kind of see that going forward into the future? So ultimately in the end, it's like, we, it goes back to something that Patrick was asking earlier about. There's only so much resources and time that we have in the day to carry ourselves. And it's not like, like everyone does this for fun. Nobody earns a paycheck out of this. Nobody, nobody earns a million dollar paycheck by, cause they came in the class, right? Like, but top of the class, but there's so much we can execute. And ultimately it goes down to the core of the rules always said you, there is a protest mechanism that's always been there since day one. And that's why we have stewards. We have all these mechanisms in place that come from experience in racing that says, Hey, this is how you execute. And we are self-policed, right? Like, like other competitors have the right to view other competitors schedules or their, their car builds and say, does this match? And, and ultimately I did have to explain to Ryan, I said, this is a perfectly legal move. It's a legal move and it's meant to self-police. And if your car isn't accurate to what you said it was, that's why I try to avoid the word cheaters. A lot of people say, you're cheating. And I'm like, mm. oh God, okay, look, look, like if you want to get a lawyer about it, cheating implies an intention to, to bypass the rules. I can never prove that. Not, not within time of tax resources. I'm not the cops. We're not, they don't, we don't call ourselves that either. Ultimately, it doesn't match what you said you would come to drive. And if it doesn't, we've got a problem. Here's our mechanism to, to address that uh, for in terms of scoring and you have to recognize that you have to be truthful because you said you would be truthful in declaring a car. And I don't know, quite doesn't cut it, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it sucks to launch a protest, but because especially there's also this thing where like people say, don't be a bitch. Like that's yeah. the number one phrase yeah, I hear. Yeah. Like, it drives me nuts. I say, guys, like ultimately, if you feel, if you, if there's any, un- like what, I, what I've always told people, if you feel uncomfortable, if you want to ask, come up to the tower, We'll have, we'll have Rob, one of the stewards, or one of the organizers, myself, Gary, or Dave, walk you through. And before you file a legal protest, because with the protest, you have to submit money to make sure like we don't get spam protests. Yeah. We will say, do you have a valid case or not? Right? Right? And then we will subtly try to like guide you through that and then try not to make it as awkward as possible. And, yeah. and one of the things that so... After that happened, and then we had uh, a Shanville, and then we had a few situations where it's like, guys, like that guy is running with this part that clearly didn't come with that car. All right. So I was like, okay, yeah, no, you're right. Um, we asked, and then that, that, that happened as well. And then, so we're like, look, guys, like we've got a screw near that's sitting around during the day. We'll just do our RNG it, like figure out, figure out, run the number generator and just pull yeah. a bunch of cars. And uh, just check the schedule. Because ultimately, yeah, we're not doing a teardown. Yeah. Like, we just doing, we're doing our due diligence to some degree to satisfy people that we, we're hitting up. And the irony is that at DDT, we wound up hitting, I think, two out of the, the five organizers that were there on the site. So yeah. it's like, hey, it's just perfectly random. Like, it's, 
But ultimately, the mechanism, the system only works if if a competitor spots something and yeah. says, "Hey, that doesn't look right." Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it sucks, but 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 everyone has to understand like that's how we we self police. Or otherwise, if we spend like like we just I just did a quick number like, like even two minutes per car, so full fuel sixteen cars, that's one hundred twenty minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And what are you gonna get out of two minutes? Nothing. Nothing really. So. We rely on people, people publishing their like. We collect all the approved pip schedules and we post it to all the competitors and see. And say, hey, look, if you want, like, hey, what's what's uh, what's Jason driving? He says he doesn't have coilover. They look underneath it. That's clearly says Olin's. Mm, okay, just paint him black. Paint him black. We're good. No gold under yeah. there. But yeah, like like that's what I'm saying. Like it's 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 tough, but as with any official. As with any like 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 you know, official system, there's a protest system at place, right? It's like yeah, even mm-hmm. all slalom and like any grassroots sport, motorsport, you'll have a protest system in play. So yeah, yeah. I I, I will say you know we, we mentioned Ryan. I have mad respect for him, and he's like improved so much over the past year, and it's probably why like it started to be like oh hey like this this car's going pretty quick it's like that's not a time i can do at channaville with with my my pip schedule and if i were to criticize myself real quick for something i should have done differently in in the protest i do think like at the beginning of the season at tmp i probably had enough of an inkling on on the setup of his car and that like maybe there's like some things that that need to be taken a look at but because he wasn't competing for top of the of 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 the grid for the class i was like well it's not gonna have that big of an impact uh, on me and so i kind of refrained from it and it just sucks that like when he was predicted to be in first place in shandola that's when the the protests kind of comes right and so it's kind mm-hmm. of a bit of a blow so like what i'm trying to say is like i think we do need to adjust the culture of only winning cars get yep. protested and it's actually much better for everyone like if you have the the inclination and the evidence to to say like hey you know what like i think this car needs to get taken a look at it's just much better experience for the driver like way earlier in the season to yeah, make well, that change and, and that that's on me for not having you know done that sooner yeah but ultimately it also goes down to like 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 someone someone asked the question why aren't you guys as an organization doing more to to look at this i'm like that's where that's why i said the token thing i can do is just do the random inspections because we can't check everybody's cars. Yep. Right. We the key thing, the bare minimum for us is to check for safety, which is the tech, which is the tech inspection, right? But the tech inspection, we've got especially on, on a new day, on a on the first day of the season, you've got like 20 cars, 30 cars lined up and screen gear just looks at it and goes, does it all this look safe to you? Yes. He's not gonna go like, hey, there's a roll bar or there's something here that you didn't declare on your tech sheet. All right. Like yeah. or, 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 yep. or a pet schedule rather. So yeah, so yeah, we 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 try, we try, but ultimately it's it, it boils down to what we can, what the resources we have, and what we execute in the day. Yeah, so. makes sense. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're running uh, pretty long here. Learned a ton about the history of the organization, and you know all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes to to deal with the uh, the fiery town halls that we always have, whether in person or through the group chats. Uh, so to wrap things up, one segment we like to do on the podcast is the Modest Dream Garage. So oh, you yes. have a $200,000 budget. You can only pick three cars. And they're the only cars that you can drive. What are the three cars for Kevin Wong? 
Well, this is a tough one. It's like $200,000. Like, does a trailer count as a vehicle? Because if I had $200,000, I would buy a truck, I'd buy a trailer, and then find a, find a race car. What's the, what specific models would you do for the truck? Oh. And the race car, I guess. The truck. The truck's a tough one. I've always been a Toyota boy, so like the new Tundra is nice. I had a feeling. The new Tundra is nice, but uh, but yeah, like new Tundra is nice. Uh, and then the, the race car, I don't know much of a trailer. So pro- I'll probably, if I had 200 grand, I'd see if I can squeeze in an enclosed trailer. Like, yeah, uh, steel one you can get for like yeah. 15, aluminum, yeah. 20, 25. And then the race car, like, as much as I love the SC1000, it's like it's an aging platform. So the, the B8 platform that I own the second gen is the, the BRZ twin, the, the, the GR86, right? It's such a great car. Yeah. Right? It's such a great car. It has. Yeah. What are you going to do about those right-handers? Well, okay, so so there's... <laughs> I, 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 so so uh, the fellow OTA competitor, uh, the YouTube channel was at uh, uh, Ping Zhang. He, uh, yeah. he, him and I have been investigating data on it because ultimately, again, this is my personal opinion, but a lot of the shops that have been selling solutions weren't really looking at addressing the problem. Although I suspect there's a channel, uh, the fellow named Nine VRZ, he's actually posted a teaser that he had no very very little pressure draws finally, and mm. I suspect the answer and, and and our research has been has been proving it is that there's simply not enough oil in the pan. Mm. Just overfill uh, it. Overfill it. That's why overfill seems to work. Uh, seems to work. It doesn't fully address because you can't because I believe like uh, like some people are doing like as much as a liter overfill. Yeah, and that seems to mm. to, to address the problem. But ultimately, in the end, there's the, the inherent problem with the boxer engine where it's like on a right-hand turn, the all returns aren't the same. I see. You actually It's not draining to, enough. It's not draining enough, correct. Mm. So that's a huge problem where it's like, look, like if you just had more oil, there's nobody's going to do a perpetual right-hand turn. So eventually, you come back to the street, the oil will drain. So the question is, why didn't you have more reserve in the pan? That's kind of interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I think when whenever people think about oil starvation, it's more like always the pickup effective and like, uh, like sucking up enough, right? And there's the oil in the pan. It's almost like thinking like you, instead of the AccuSump pumping into yeah, yeah. the block, you just like just pump it straight to the pan right by the pickup, so I can just suck yeah, it up when exactly. I need it, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, ultimately, the problem with the AccuSump is that. It, I don't like the way it recharges because it does add pressure drop to your system, right? Yeah. So I was like, well, you still need oil when you're driving straight. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, yeah. I don't like, I don't like that as a solution, but, but yeah, that, but going back to your question, like, yeah, time draw a trailer and, and basically I already own the second gen VRZ, fix the oil, oil issue and away we go, right? That's such a great car. Nice. There you have it. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us on the show. This was a ton of fun. Any parting words to the crowd before we sign off? Actually, no, I've parting words for you guys. Thanks for doing this because there's a lot of podcasts out there that, that cover like a lot of higher end racing. You've got Ross Bentley Speed Seekers, who I'm a huge fan of. You've got other stuff too mm-hmm. that covers like like the higher end of, of grassroots, but nothing for the like your average guy coming into this. So it's been really great hearing guys like 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 uh, from Lucky Dog talk about it. Uh, hearing all the other people like Jason Lee who was a participant. Even here with, uh, with Patrick, right? With the whole data acquisition thing and all that fun stuff. Like that's that's stuff that's, as me, as, as again, you guys know why I joined, did all this because I want more people to join this, the sports scene. 
and this is far more mm-hmm. accessible than a, a lot of other stuff. Not that that doesn't say anything bad about you know the other podcasts, but this for is sure. something that we sorely need. So thanks yeah. for you guys for doing this. No, uh, well, thank no, you. thank thank you, Kevin. I think your your presence in uh, on Terra Time Attack over the past years, like I, I might have referenced it in a different podcast, where like I got a ride along with you at Shannonville in 2018, and it like changed my entire life. And then you, I think you had um, he even you remember. also introduced. He doesn't even remember. <laughs> you you gave me a ride along and the what, feeling what? of you taking me through the chicane after um, that fast right-hander at Shannonville. Well, I was what? like, this yeah. is what it's supposed to feel like. And then I think you also yeah. had an aim solo. And all of these things, I was like, this is the kind of driver I want to be. And then I've made it my whole personality since I started driving. So I think your, your impact monster. on... <laughs> yeah your, your impact is very understated i think so no thank thank yeah. you for all that you do with ota um i'm very glad to be uh sponsoring the series and a coach and instructor with uh an organization that has given me so much over the past few years so thank you very much thank you thank you for supporting us because i always think that we're, we're people think data acquisition is uh like beyond the, the basic entry level but it can help people allocate dollars far more efficiently for sure ultimately <laughs> in the end it's called well, always goes down the money right so mm-hmm. so thank you for doing what you do all right Thanks, like that man. we'll catch you guys on our next episode all right, all right. take care everyone. Thanks, take care. Thanks everybody